0: today comes from Genesis chapter 34 and you can find it on page 37 of some church Bibles. Genesis chapter 34 verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, He took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Hamor said to, to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to his father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I'll give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We'll give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man who was the most honoured of all his father's household lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised, as they themselves are. When their livestock, their property and all their other animals become ours, so let us give our consent to them and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in their houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We're a few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? This is God's word.
1: Before we begin uh, this morning, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that it tells us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be amongst us, helping us to understand uh, and helping us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, does it seem to you like justice is missing in this world? Terrorists plan and execute attacks around the world. Wars are fought on the basis of religion. And everywhere, Christians are persecuted, kidnapped, thrown into jail, beaten, and killed. When things like this happen, we might ask, where is the justice? Christians, of course, are not the only ones to see that justice is missing in this world. When prisoners are set free and commit crimes again and again, people ask, where is the justice? When criminals flee the scene of a crime and are never caught, people ask, where is the justice? And then when criminals are finally taken to court and seem to get off with a light sentence, people still ask, where is the justice? The last verse in the passage today is, sounds very much like one of those appeals after all that has happened when the sons of Jacob ask should he have treated our sister like a prostitute what they are really asking is where was the justice now this is a very difficult passage and I wouldn't be surprised if many people just passed it by when I was reading commentaries to understand what this passage meant. Many of the commentators really just say what happened and then quickly move on. But this is an important passage because a lot of people from outside the church know about it and they will ask us, what is this? They will throw the passage at us and say, look, this is what God's people are like. They will say, look at the violence, look at the injustice And then they say, where is justice? Where is the love of God? Now these are really good questions and I think the reason we have trouble with this passage is because we don't know the answer. In today's passage there is a sin that is committed right at the beginning and under God sin requires justice and there are many different reactions to that sin that happen here in this passage and we're going to look at three of them. The first we're going to have a look at is how Hamor, the leader of that city, responds to to the sin of his own son. We're going to look at the response of Jacob's sons and the terror that they bring. And then finally, we're going to look at God's response. So, let's begin. In verse 1, we see that Dina goes into the city alone and she goes for a very innocent reason. To visit the women of the land. Perhaps a very nice day out going to see the markets visiting people and seeing other people in the community but when she goes out she runs into danger. In verse 2 Shechem takes Dina and sleeps with her. We see that Shechem falls in love and then desires to marry her. He then asks her father to even help him to get married to her. Shechem pleads with Jacob and his sons for her hand in marriage, asking whatever you ask, I will give to you, just let me be married to her." And later is so keen to be married to this girl that he even is willing to undergo circumcision which he knows nothing about, willing to undergo that circumcision just so he can be married to this girl. You see, even though Shechem falls in love with Dina, he's got it all upside down. it's all wrong. He's had sex outside of marriage. Some translations will call it rape, some will call it humiliation, some defilement. We're not really sure if Dina had actually agreed to it or not, this, but regardless of that, this act will still rob Dina of her honour. It is a mark against her record with respect to anyone that we, she would marry afterwards. In this sense, Shechem has spoiled her. But more importantly, he is sinned against God, he has sinned against God because he has ignored God's design for marriage. Sexual relationships are for the bond of marriage, full stop. But Shechem's intent was to satisfy his own lust with Dina without marrying her. It doesn't matter that he wants to marry her after the fact, he has already committed a sin and it is a grievous one. A sin has been committed, And so we must look for justice. The first reaction we'll look at is that of Shechem's father, Hamor. See, in verse 4, Shechem tells his father that he wants dinah for his wife. So, what does Hamor do? Does he rebuke his son? No, he doesn't. He probably doesn't even recognise it as a sin. Perhaps it's the normal way things were done in that city. Hamor just accepts it and moves on but it gets worse when Hamor follows up with Jacob he says my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter he doesn't apologize he doesn't plead he knows that the sons are angry but he doesn't get involved in that Hamor doesn't care about Shechem's sin where is the justice but Hamor doesn't only ignore this; thing, the whole thing has become a business opportunity and an opportunity for his town to get bigger. So he issues this massive invitation for Israel to join up with his town. He says, intermarry with us, give us your daughters, and we will give our daughters to you. You can settle amongst us. The land is open to you, live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it sounds like a nice guy doesn't he but he is not necessarily being nice he goes back to the town and he talks to the men there he says look my son wants to get married we all need to be circumcised but hang on it's going to be good because will not all their livestock their property and all their beasts be ours oh this is greed absolute greed. Hamor is not looking out for Israel, he is looking out for his own interests. Hamor doesn't question the purpose of circumcision, doesn't ask about why they need to do it. He is just confident that everything will be okay. He is just looking for another opportunity for the city to get larger and to grow more prosperous. They'll be just like one big happy family. There's no thought of God at all. It's just, let's do this circumcision thing and get rich. Today, the world is like Hamor. We want to live together in unity, the world says. We don't care what you believe, join us. Just don't be a party pooper. This is about prosperity and wealth and the strength of community. It's about what they want. There is no question of what God wants for the world. God is ignored and so can there really be any justice? Sure, the world will say they want it but only when their freedoms and when their lives are affected. But the still, still the world calls to us, they say, don't worry about your convictions, we accept everybody, accept us the same way that we accept you only don't judge us and leave your God behind. It's a very dangerous call. The world says, basically, don't judge us. But where is justice? The second reaction we can look at is from the sons of Jacob. Now, if anyone is going to deliver justice, surely it should be the sons of Jacob. These brothers of Dinah are very angry. In verse 7 it says, Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they had heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. A thing that should not be done. But the brothers just make things worse. Their anger is turned into deceit and vengeance. They first convince Hamor and Shechem that they must be circumcised if they had to permit marriage between Shechem and Dina. And then they slay everyone who has been circumcised and they plunder all their possessions. They even take their wives and their children. Jacob's sons are actually a bit like their father. Jacob's name, Jacob, means deceiver and he deceived his brother out of his inheritance and then he deceived his own father to receive the blessing that was due to his older brother and now Jacob's sons have become deceivers as well but on top of that they've thrown anger and vengeance. They tell Shechem and Hamor that everything will be fine if just everybody gets circumcised and then they slaughter everyone with the sword You see how God's elect, God's chosen people are sinners too and in this case even worse than everyone else. There is potential in every person to do evil, there is potential in you to do evil and so we must watch ourselves very carefully. These sons of Jacob eventually do start to get their lives on track but it takes time And they are never perfect. I was in a taxi once and I had struck up a conversation with the driver. We were talking about same-sex marriage. Now, he was a a Sikh and he didn't want same-sex marriage to be something that was in this country. Of course, we agreed on that. Uh, But he was quite confident that it would never happen in this country because this was a Christian country. And Christians don't believe in same-sex marriage. So I said to him, you actually need to know something here. Not everyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. And so we can't have confidence that this government will act according to God's word. Because not all of them are people of God. But I think if I was going to have that conversation again, I would add to that. Saying that not, well, Christians don't act like Christians all the time either. And sometimes our sins can be the worst. In our passage, this deceit that is carried out by Jacob's sons is unimaginable. And it's even worse when you consider what offence they've made towards God himself. They have taken the sacrament of circumcision and they have defiled that. You see, circumcision was given to them as a sign of the covenant that they had with God, a sign of the sure promises that God had made to them. It was a sign of a promise of life, of a Redeemer that would come and save all of mankind, a sign of God's grace to them. But they have taken that sign of circumcision and broken their promises. They have dealt out death. They have stolen women and children and they have shown no mercy and no grace at all. The sign of God's unbreakable promise is used for deceit. The sign of life is used as a sign of death and a sign of grace is used to show no mercy. It's a horrid and despicable crime, not just against that town but against God himself. They answer one sin, with even more sin. It's like they said, if two wrongs don't make a right, maybe a thousand will. But of course that's not right, more sin just makes things worse. The behaviour of Simeon and Levi who lead the slaughter is rebuked by Jacob in his last days. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence, let me not enter their council, let me not join their assembly for they have killed men in anger, And hamstrung oxen as they please, cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. You see, it's really easy when we get angry to desire to take vengeance, particularly when someone we love has been hurt or when the offence is against ourselves. It might feel like justice is being served but it is not. You see the Lord says it is mine to avenge and justice delivered by us out of anger and while sin is gripping our hearts is no justice at all. It's in those moments where we really need to put a stop to it and just say I will leave vengeance to the Lord. Now, when you are angry with someone, do you start imagining ways in your mind that you can pay them back? Don't let your anger turn to sin. Come to terms with your own sins first and find peace with the Lord because justice cannot be served while our emotions are running riot within us and while sin is gripping our heart. Justice cannot be found there. So Jacob's sons respond with anger and with even more sin. It only makes things worse. And so we're still going to ask, where is true justice? You know, in this passage, there are many different responses to the sins of Shechem. Shechem himself wants to make things right. He wants to get married. He says, I'll give you anything you want. Just let me have Dina as a wife. But these are the things that he should have been doing in the first place and that really doesn't serve justice at all. Jacob himself seems to just shut his eyes and go into seclusion. But because he doesn't do anything, his sons are let loose and they commit more sin. So justice is not served by Jacob either. Now in this passage I'm not sure if you noticed but God is not mentioned, not mentioned once. Now when God is not mentioned in scripture it's not because he's not there, it's just because he's doing what he always does. It doesn't need to be said and from that psalm which we had read this morning we know that God is watching. Does he who formed the eye not see? It's he who formed the year, not here. When my son Ben was much younger, when he was frustrated and angry, he would come up to me and start punching me in the arm. Punch, 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 punch. It didn't really hurt, but he he would do it. After a while, though, I would start counting. Punch, one, punch, two, three, four. I'd start quietly at first. And gradually get louder making sure that he heard me that i was counting and soon enough he would get the idea what would happen when i stopped counting and accounting was going to be made some kind of judgment was going to come and in this passage god is counting too debts of sin are building up the men here are writing checks that they have no way of paying And God is counting. Do you hear God counting? Every time you ignore God, every time you turn against Him and go another way, God is counting. Every time you lie, one. Every time you cheat, two. Every time you show hatred against your brother or sister, three. Every time you show frustration against your neighbour, four. Every time you stand back and let people suffer and hurt. Five. Every time you even think of doing wrong. Six. God is counting. For Hamor and Shechem and all the other men who were killed in that town, the counting has stopped. They have died and now will face judgment. And so they stand facing God unprepared with a debt that they can't pay. So where is justice? Well, God is counting and judgment is coming. Well, that makes this a very dark passage indeed, doesn't it? There seems to be no light in it at all. But there is one thing that is bright because you know we know what happens next. When Moses wrote these things down it was for a people who had been brought out of Egypt, rescued and cared for by God himself. God had come to their aid to deliver on promises that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and to Jacob's sons. We know that Jacob and his sons live full lives and we know that they come to trust in the promises of God and we know that they are God's chosen people and so we can know that they will stand at the judgment and pass through. See, what shines brightest in this passage is the grace of God. When Israel first heard this story, they were probably remembering their fathers in a very good light. Jacob's sons to them were a great people. Each tribe of Israel was named after one of Jacob's sons. And it would have been very easy for them to see their forefathers, the sons of Jacob, in a very good light. It would have been easy to take pride, even in Simeon and Levi. They were the chosen people of God. And their forefathers were great men. And yet this story says these men were wicked. Deceitful, full of hatred and, des- and a desire for vengeance. It is only by God's grace that they were saved. But by sharing this history with them, God wanted the Israelites to turn their hearts from themselves, from pride in their own fathers, and instead turn to God, because these sons of Jacob were in no position To save. It is only God and His grace that would save them. But then what about all of that counting? Where is the justice? It would be really unjust of God simply to overlook all of the sins that have been happening here. I mean, can God just forgive them and move on? No. You see, God is counting, and someone still has to pay. And we know that someone does pay that debt, and that is Jesus Christ. Christ himself took the punishment that these men deserved. Christ was able to pay their debts because he himself had never sinned and because he was the Son of God. His life offered became the perfect sacrifice and was able to satisfy the wrath of God so that true justice could be served. God overlooks their sins because they are God's chosen people, because they came to trust in the promises of God, because they had faith in God's promises. And through this, they are saved by Christ. So where is true justice? Well, God is counting your sins and judgment is coming. But for all who have faith in Jesus Christ, there is grace. Now, at the end of this, if judgment is only to come after death, what about justice now? Surely we can't live without it. Well, no, we can't really. We should look to preserve justice as much as we can in this world. Wherever we're in positions of authority, wherever we're in positions of law and order in society, we need to be able to execute justice rightly. Even within the church, we need to execute justice Each of us as we go back to work sometimes we're called on to see that justice is done and as parents we need to order our families with justice. But in all of these things in every part of life we need to remember that we are sinners and because we're sinners our justice will be imperfect and we are never the last word in judgment. We should be particularly wary when we're trying to serve justice while we're angry, which will only make things worse. But the world these days, the world doesn't want judgment, they just want their freedoms. For them, justice is something that is only to be given out to other people. But God is counting all of our sins and judgment is coming whether we want it to or not. God is counting and justice will be shown. When it comes to God's judgment, you can try and pay that debt yourself, but what are you going to pay it with? You can't take your money with you. and God's not going to accept that anyway. You can't pay it with good deeds because those are the things you should have been doing in the first place. No, there isn't anything that we have that we can pay that debt, but there is someone who will pay it on our behalf and that is Jesus Christ, because he already received the wrath of God for all the sins of all of those who would put their trust in him and accept him as their Lord and Saviour. Now, when you look at your own life and all of the sin that you have built up, it can feel like a massive burden, like you've got to pay back God for everything that you've done. It can feel like there's a burden on your back, driving you into the ground. And yet Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, Christ at the cross carries the weight of your sin. It is already done. There is no more debt for you to pay. For all who listen to the call of Christ there is grace and there is love and there is nothing to pay this is grace it's God's mercy shown to you now this passage itself is a dark dark episode of the bible but in such places God's grace shines all the brighter and true justice is from God and shown in this judgment for all of our sins is coming but for all who have faith in Jesus Christ, all who have accepted him as Lord, as Saviour, there is grace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we live in a world that has rebelled against you and so around us we see that justice is often ignored. But we know that your justice is perfect and that you will uphold it. And judgment for all people is coming let us not forget lord that punishment is due to us too and that our sins need to be accounted for and so we thank you lord for the grace that you have shown to us in your son and we thank you for the forgiveness that comes through him we pray for those here who are yet to put their trust in jesus and we ask that your spirit would be with them helping them to see how much they need jesus and that only through Jesus they can be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.